This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. If you found yourself in Christ, you are promised. It is not a suggestion, not a, you know, way in the balances. It is a promise of God that you will live your life having all of your necessity needs supplied for. And he will do this above and beyond everything you can ask or imagine. But God has never promised to give us everything that we want or everything that our heart desires. In today's message, Pastor Josh will teach you that the best life is a life of contentment. Are you content with what God has provided you with or do you find yourself constantly wanting more? While discontentment is a struggle for everyone, the truth is that it's driven by covetousness and lust, which both lead to a life of resentment. In today's message, Pastor Josh will teach you that contentment is found in making Jesus your greatest treasure and allowing His presence and provision to be enough. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message, Continue in the Better Way. Hebrews chapter 13, let us pray, Lord, we thank you for the word today, and we ask, Lord, that as we get into your word, your word would certainly get into us, that there would be the Holy Spirit exposing the deepest secrets of our heart, Lord, that you, by your word, would speak, Lord, not to mere head knowledge, but prophetically the things that need to be heard, need to be received by each person that you have drawn here today to the skeptic and to the faithful alike. May you reveal your heart, your love, your will, and your truth to us through the word you have given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue our study that we started. We're gonna be looking at Hebrews chapter 13. We're gonna be looking through verses five through 10 today. We started a message at the end of Hebrews called Continue in the Better Way. And we've talked about Jesus being the better choice than basically and everything and anything else in this life. He is the way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is all that we need. And as we've learned about who he is and what he's done, the author wants to ensure that we walk in the fruit of what Jesus has done, that we walk practically towards each other in the love of Christ. We saw that because Jesus is the better way. We are to continue to follow his way by living, number one, in lives of empathy. That is empathy in three different ways. Number one, that we are to increase in our brotherly love to one another. That our love, Christian to Christian, brother to sister, is to increase all the more as we see the needs around us, as we try to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and their experiences, that we are called to Love each other as Christ has loved us, and let the world see our care for each other. We are to show hospitality and generosity to strangers, not simply because this is what we want them to experience, the love of Jesus, but because divine messengers, that is angels, might actually be among us, testing our empathy, our faith, our generosity on a mission from God And so we never know when we might run into a divine appointment, quite literally, not just with humans, but with angels. 
And then number three, we are to live in the better way by continuing in sexual purity within the marriage relationship, knowing that God knows best how to cause human beings to thrive, to find joy and contentment and pleasure and intimacy. God designed us to be with one man or one woman, a spouse for under the covenant of marriage for an entire life. And we learned pretty in depth that more people than ever today are accepting and settling for less than what God has for them and less than who God created them to be because of sexual lies that have permeated our culture. And if you're maybe coming from a background where you were raised without sexual boundaries or without absolute truths in your life, or perhaps you've been taught that God's rules on sex and marriage are antiquated and stifling to the human experience, I want to lovingly and sincerely challenge you on your premise today regarding that. The emotional trauma, the physical pain, the mental confusion, the spiritual emptiness that is prevalent today surrounding the issue specifically of sexuality is not coming literally from people who save themselves sexually for marriage, get married, and have a fulfilled, increasing, intimate marriage with one person for their entire lives. That's not where the sexual problems are coming from today. And I challenge you, I would say, if you don't believe that, challenge me and show me how that's not true. You say, well, Josh, people are cheating on each other. Well, Josh, I know people who are, yeah, you know why? Because anytime anyone steps outside of God's design for sexuality and marriage, then pain immediately follows. God is not here to stifle anyone. He's here to give you life and that more abundantly and to give you freedom and to give you the ability to live in the design he's created you to be. And so he encourages us to stay sexually pure within the confines of the marriage bed and the marriage relationship. And then as we continue today, he gives us two more ways that we are to live or continue in the better way. And number three is going to be a kick in the pants to anyone in our Western culture. Certainly it hits humanity in the heart, but I think specifically in a culture where we are so used to having the things that we want at our fingertips, to continue with and in contentment is a true struggle for most Americans today. And actually, if I was to say, and I don't think it's a stretch, to say that much of the theology in today's churches in America fight against true contentment by teaching us that God exists to fulfill our desires, to ensure that we receive our ambitions and our dreams and all of the things that we want in this world, that that's kind of what God is there for. No, it's not at all. And in fact, it creates this insatiable lust and hunger that is not healthy to us spiritually. And so in verse 5, Paul here, or the author continues, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself, that is the Lord, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we are to live in contentment. And here he calls on, the again, the Old 
Testament, the law, thou shalt not covet. One of those Ten Commandments. It was a precept that God was trying to instill in humanity from the beginning. I believe that Eve's downfall was that covetous desire in her heart to want something that was outside of her reach. She felt like she didn't have it. She felt like God was keeping something from her that she wanted. Satan got her to believe that that desire was good. And all of a sudden, she was stepping outside of God's provision and God's protection to something more. And she was willing to sacrifice what God had given her to get something God hadn't given her. And yet how many people are striving to get things that God hasn't given them and all the meanwhile sacrificing the very things that God has given to them. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he even, knowing human, knowing the human heart, has to give specifics. It's not just thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. No, when it comes to covetousness, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, and just in case there's something else that I'm leaving out, nor anything that is your neighbor's. What is this telling me? That God knows that human beings will always find a way to want something that doesn't belong to them. It's ingrained within the character and the nature of humanity. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, and so the eyes of man are never satisfied. It's just looking and longing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all those things that we live for, the American dream. But for how many people is the American dream actually shrouding out their eternal reality? Their pursuit of stuff and things and positions and power and wealth and just comfort and ease and security in life is actually stifling their eternal vision, their perspective of what God wants to do and the riches that they have in Christ. Covetousness, when he speaks here, is a longing for the non-necessities that God has not supplied to you. It is true, I know this because Paul told us it's true, that my God shall supply all of your needs according to what? His riches and glory. If you are pursuing Jesus, if you found yourself in Christ, you are promised, it is not a suggestion, not a, you know, way in the balances, it is a promise of God that you will live your life having all of your necessity needs supplied for And he will do this above and beyond everything you can ask or imagine. But God has never promised to give us everything that we want or everything that our heart desires. Well, wait, Josh, the Bible says, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Have you ever wondered why those two thoughts and principles are coupled together? It doesn't say the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. It says delight in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If your delight is in the Lord, then where are the desires of your heart? In the Lord. That's the whole point, is that when your will is aligned with God's will, God will do everything it takes. He will break through the impossible to ensure that everything you need to accomplish his will is done. But covetousness, 
That is the desire and the longing for something outside of what God has supplied you, something that God has given others but not you, is driven by discontentment and lust. Discontentment really is us communicating to God, what you have given me is not sufficient for what I actually need. It causes not only frustration with the Lord sometimes, but it causes even conflict with other people because resentment builds towards others who have the things that you want. A constant desire for more of what we do not have can cause us to be frustrated, disappointed, angry at God about our lives, and jealous of others. James chapter 4 He communicates this very clearly. Listen to this. I think modern psychology can learn something from this principle right here. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. James exposes what many of us are in denial about. The conflict in our marriage, the conflict in our friendships, the conflict with our coworkers and our neighbors, the conflict within our society is actually stemming out of a self-love, a self-centered desire for more For me, the conflict that people are always proclaiming to be the victim of may actually be due to their own covetous desires. I deserve. I want. It's my right. These are my boundaries. It's my stuff. What about my feelings? And all of a sudden, the lust for more is causing wars and conflict everywhere. Much of the time when we are focused on me, my, and I, it's because we are longing for what someone else has rather than being content with what God has provided us. And here's the principle. Rather than breed resentment, we must learn contentment. And notice several things. First, we are to learn contentment by letting contentment Mark our conduct. Verse 5, again, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. I think this word conduct is important because it means the way that you conduct yourself in life, your decisions, how you interact with other people. Let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, make sure your decisions, that's your conduct, are motivated by what is right not by what's in it for me. There are two ways people are motivated in life to make decisions. What's in it for me? Or what is right? What is the right thing to do? What does God want me to do? You know, I find it, when he says here, be content with such things that you have, I find it ironic in our culture that every year, on the day after we celebrate the giving of thanks, Thanksgiving, we have Black Friday. It's like we have Thanksgiving, and then we have Thanksgiving right after it. The moment we celebrate all that God has provided for us, we go out and we spend everything we have and a lot of what we don't have to try to get more stuff at a better price. 
It's ironic to me. It shows me that the true pursuit of our culture, of our society, is not to have an attitude of gratitude, but a longing for more. And it breeds discontentment, entitlement, selfishness. Many people are suffering because of it. Paul, the apostle, told us about contentment, didn't he? He said, there is one secret in life that if you can find it out, your life will go better. Josh, what's the secret? Everyone listen. It's my prosperity teaching moment. I'm going to tell you the secret key to a happier you. It's found in Philippians 4. Many of you know it already. Paul said, I know how to be abased and how to abound. That means I know how to have nothing. I know how to have a lot. He says, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. I have been in positions and situations and seasons in life where I have had more than overflowing, and it's been wonderful. And I have seasons in life where I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from, and I was stoned, and I was sitting in some ship or on some island or in some prison. Yet none of it sways me from my mission and purpose and meaning in life. Why? Because I have learned this secret. That no matter what I have or I don't have in this world, I always have Jesus. And I can do anything through him who gives me strength. And that is one of the most misquoted verses in today. And the way we've misquoted it shows the error of our society. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like winning my football game. Like, you know, achieving success. Like being on top. No, the Bible actually says the thing you can learn and gain that the world can't get is that you can learn how to go through adversity, through trial. You can learn how to have nothing and still be happy through Christ who gives you strength. So we need to learn how to conduct ourselves without covetousness. Number two, we need to let Jesus be our greatest treasure. Notice he continues in verse five and six, for he himself has said, He quotes the Psalms, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What a powerful statement to make. Would you say this? I don't do this a lot. I don't like to do a lot. But would you you say this with me? I think it's for the Christian. You need to know this. It needs to be in our hearts. Say this with me. I am confident the Lord is with me. I am confident the Lord is for me. That's what the author is saying. We can be confident in three things. Number one, notice he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? That number one, we can know that the Lord's presence is enough for us. Would you say that? The Lord's presence is enough. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's like God is saying, Jesus is looking to us, and he promised his disciples before he ascended to heaven You're going to go on this mission. You're going to make disciples of all nations. You're going to preach the gospel to every creature. But lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The promise is that no matter what you have or you don't have in life, God's presence will never leave you. His witness, 
His fellowship, the fellowship of his spirit, his power, his comfort, his healing, his joy is always going to be there and no one can rob it from you. Nothing, no health concern can take it from you. God's presence is enough. And so he's saying to combat this idea when you start to struggle with being content with what you have, know that no matter what you don't have, you still have the one thing that you need. And that is the very presence of God in your life. I tell you, the people with everything the world has to offer, but they're without God and without hope in this world, you are extensively more wealthy than they are. Simply by the fact that you have the presence of God with you. You have his promises with you. Always remember that the greatest weapon against discontentment is to remember that Jesus is enough. It's the greatest weapon against discontentment that to remember that Jesus is enough. So his presence is enough. But notice number two, that we are to remember that the Lord's provision is enough. Again, he quotes that psalm, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. God's provision is enough. I think many people waste much of their lives away in worry and anxiety trying to get things that the Lord hasn't seen fit to give them. Now, don't hear me wrong. I am not saying using God's provision as an excuse to be lazy, as an excuse to shirk your responsibility of providing for your family, or to be unwise with your finances. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that be faithful and diligent in what God has called you to do, be wise in how you invest, be faithful in how you give, and then be content with what God supplies you. There's a good possibility that if you don't have that thing you really want, it's because God knows it's best that you don't have it. That very thing that you're longing to get might be the very thing that destroys you or that keeps you from some better plan that God has for you or that lessens your dependency on the Lord. It's been in some of the moments of greatest need where I've looked up to heaven and God, I don't know how I'm going to do all this, Lord, where it's been the most enriching experience to be reminded that my life needs to be in a place of dependency on God. God doesn't want our lives to be in a place where our peace and our security comes from what's in our bank account or what's on our property or what's in our garage or what's on our calendar. If your peace and security is rooted and anchored in those things, you will lose it. It will be shaken. But if it's anchored in Christ, nothing can move you. Paul put it like this in Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? So God's presence is enough. God's provision is enough. Number three, God's protection is enough. Notice he ends that verse by saying, I will not fear what can man do to me? Eight times in the Psalms, David refers to God as his defense. Over 40 times in the Psalms, David refers to God as his helper. David knew it is foolish to trust in man, but those who trust in the Lord shall be safe. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God 
and your love of the people of this world. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing